A banged-up Missouri football team looks to avoid a trap for the second straight week against Vanderbilt. Will the Tigers win in Nashville? Well, I'll give my prediction coming up right now on Locked on Mizzou. You are Locked on Mizzou, your daily podcast on the Missouri Tigers. Part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. Hey, all you true sons and daughters, I'm John Miller, your Mizzou mafioso and the central scrutinizer of Missouri Tigers football and basketball. And this episode is brought to you by FanDuel Sportsbook, official sportsbook of Locked On. Make every moment more. Right now, new customers can bet $5 and get 200 in bonus bets guaranteed. Visit FanDuel.com slash Locked On to get started. And of course, today we got to get started by talking about Vanderbilt and Missouri, their ball game tomorrow. Of course, a pretty lengthy injury report, official injury report put out by the Tigers yesterday, including questionable tags for the following players, Luther Burden, Brady Cook, Marcellus Johnson, Shamar McNeil, Brett Norfleet, Dre Norwood, Ennis Rakestraw, and Darius Robinson. So at least, what, six of those guys that I just listed off there are starters or important parts of the rotation at the very least. Really, only Shamar McNeil hasn't played a significant role of all those guys I just talked about here on this young season. Now, Gerard Hamilton over at Power Mizzou weighs in saying, however, I believe Cook, Burden, Marcellus Johnson, and Brett Norfleet, excuse me, are more towards probable as opposed to questionable. So that means the offensive side of the ball will probably be okay tomorrow. But indeed, if Ennis Rakestraw misses the game, if Dre Norwood missed the game, well, across from Chris Abrams' drain, that could be a problem. It really could. Relying on just Marcus Clark and especially in the slot positions, third down and long, there are going to be some really young players like Marvin Burks out there tasked with matching up against some good Vanderbilt Commodore receivers, as Eli Drinkwitz talked about. Now, the, their best receiver by far, I would say, certainly that was the case last year in my opinion, was Will Shepard. I think he's their most dangerous playmaker, especially in the red zone. But I, I will say the production from Shepard really hasn't been there the last couple weeks, so that'll be something to monitor. be interesting to see if maybe Chris Abrams' drain follows him around the formation. Typically not something that Abrams Drain does. We've seen Rakestraw move inside to the slot on occasion this season, especially on obvious passing downs. Don't really expect to see that from Abrams Drain. It'd be interesting to see if he did, though. That's for sure. Now, on one hand, based on Vanderbilt's 2023 season so far, I could easily make the argument that the Commodores have simply been plagued by turnovers and that they're actually better than they look on paper. But on the other hand, when you dig a little deeper, most of those turnovers really haven't been the result of bad luck, but rather bad football. And quarterback A.J. Swan is definitely a really talented player. I, I talked him up quite a bit coming into the Missouri game last year, but he didn't play his best football against Missouri last year, in my opinion, and 
he certainly has regressed statistically this season in terms of completion percentage, and he's already thrown multiple interceptions, returned for a touchdown. I believe he has seven interceptions on the season already, including three last week against Kentucky in a 45-28 to loss. Also, Vanderbilt's coach, Clark Lee, said that Swan is still dealing with a bruised elbow. Quote, we've got to monitor A.J.'s health and availability as we move forward, but we certainly need more from that position. So kind of enough said there. Obviously, Clark Lee not not happy, not satisfied with his quarterback player. Obviously, his offense so far this season. And indeed, when you blow a 21-point lead to UNLV in Barry Odom's first season at a program that has been really, really tough to win at historically, it's a bad sign for your entire season. Also, easily getting your blo- your doors blown off. Hey, doors blown off. Had no pun intended there. But getting just completely demolished 36-20 to at Wake Forest when they're when their excellent quarterback has transferred to Notre Dame this season. It's just not a good look, really, so far. Any good looks so far for Vanderbilt whatsoever on this young season. Now, indeed, if this is a close game, I will say one advantage Vanderbilt seems to have a pretty big one on paper is they have superior special teams. They have a really good punter, a good place kicker, and aside from, well, Missouri knocking in a game-winning 61-yard field goal, that was pretty pretty exciting. But other than that, Missouri special teams has definitely left quite a bit to be desired the last couple seasons. So there is a possibility there that that margin could be made up by Vanderbilt if it's close. But Here's the problem. I just don't see this being a close football game. I, I really don't. I, in front of about 25,000 people would be my guess for the attendance here in Nashville. I think Missouri rolls. Now, don't get me wrong. The injury situation, it is worrisome. So what I think is going to happen is the offensive fireworks that the Tigers have shown the last couple weeks, the big-time downfield passing, I think that maybe takes a week off to heal when it becomes clear that Vanderbilt can't really do anything offensively against this Missouri team. Now, it's quite possible that Missouri, if they're down too many defensive backs and Swan or perhaps Ken Seals, who very may well start the game. It's kind of stunning, by the way, that Ken Seals is still at Vanderbilt after all of this time and after losing his starting position. But Here we are. The point is, if Vanderbilt is able to start getting something going through the passing game, well, then obviously they've got a chance to win. I just personally don't see that happening. So I'm going to go with Missouri winning the ball game 27 to 10. Obviously, that would be them covering that 13 and a half point spread over at FanDuel, but also going under the total quite a bit of 54 and a half. Let me check that number. Yeah, 54 and a half is the total over at FanDuel Sportsbook. So I'm actually feeling more confident about that that number going under than I am about Missouri covering the spread. So you know what? Let's put a few shekels down on the under this week. And by the way, that upcoming LSU game here just in eight days now is sold out. There's only Hill tickets left for the Tennessee game and just limited reserved seats available now for South Carolina as well. So Missouri's pickup in attendance here, obviously 
directly related to the 4-0 start, no doubt about that. Well, it sort of brought up the debate on whether Missouri should have indeed reduced its football attendance or not. Was that the smart move to sort of go with the trend? Or has, as some people have suggested, was that loser mentality by the Tigers? So let's talk about that and more about this Missouri-Vanderbilt football game. But first, got to snap into action, folks, this NFL season with FanDuel, America's number one sports book, because right now new customers get $200 in bonus bets guaranteed when you place a $5 bet. That's $200 in bonus bets, win or lose. If you've been thinking about joining FanDuel, well, there's no better time to get in on the action. And the app is extremely easy to use. There's a wide range of betting options, including spreads, player props, over-unders, and so much more. So visit FanDuel.com slash locked on and kick off the NFL season. FanDuel, official partner of the NFL. And by the way, if you missed it live today at 10 a.m. Central, you can still check out College Football Kickoff Live on my YouTube channel in this podcast feed. Definitely check it out with the stable of college locked-on guests covering their team every day. Again, that's locked-on college football kickoff live every Friday from 10 a.m. to noon on any locked-on college YouTube channel. You will not want to miss it. And, well, I guess if Missouri keeps playing really excellent football and that trend just continues for the years to come, well, there's going to be some people, I guess, who are left out, I suppose, who will miss maybe some live Missouri football that we would like to see. Well, what am I getting at here? Well, obviously, in the in the height of the Gary Pinkle era, well, Missouri was selling out 71,000 people pretty easily. That wasn't all that long ago, just 10, 9, 10 years ago when Missouri was doing that, right? So, obviously, the trend not only at Missouri, but most importantly, really, in all of college football, is live attendance has started to go down, even in places like Alabama. It's just, obviously, Alabama is still selling out 99% of their games and doing tremendously well. There's more no-shows than there were in the past. And also, well, on games against non-premium opponents, you can get into Alabama. Use the Game Time app. It'll probably only cost you 10 bucks or so. The point is that was not the case a decade or so. So the trend has been going down against live attendance for a million different reasons. The television experience maybe being so great now is number one on that list. And the fact that indeed every game is televised now if you are in a major conference like the SEC. But while that certainly makes a lot of sense, why Missouri reduced capacity from 71 to, I believe, now 62,000, somewhere in that range, well, a lot of people think, hey, that was loser mentality. Just because Missouri had had a few down seasons, that didn't mean they were going to be down forever. Why would you reduce capacity when not too long ago you were easily drawing 71,000 for a lot of games, especially the premium games? Well, I really understand that argument. I do. But at the same time, I think from an economic perspective, I think Missouri made the right move. Because if you think about what the south end zone used to look like, it was just a bunch of bleachers over there where, you know, 
cost per butt in that seat, the amount of revenue you get per butt in that seat versus now you've got the bunker club. Now you've got those giant suites up there. Guess how much more money you get for all that stuff than just simply having bleachers out there. Yes, you're reducing capacity, but your cost, the amount of revenue you're getting per person in those in that area, there's no comparison whatsoever. Now, here's the good news, by the way. If you're still saying, okay, but why did we have to reduce capacity? Well, here's the good news. I think there's still plenty of time for Missouri to shift here. If indeed, if the Eli Drinkwitz era suddenly takes off here the next couple seasons, I think there's plenty of time for Missouri to still shift because as we've heard and discussed a little bit on this podcast, well, the north end zone, there's going to be some changes over there too. What that ends up looking like, well, that's still all up for debate very much and in discussion. But you could certainly potentially add more seats in the north end zone as well in addition to premium seating over there, perhaps more boxes over there, but also more bleacher-type seating like you have in the south end zone that still exists as well. I just don't. I just think that if we get to this point where suddenly Missouri is a perennial top 25-type team again, challenging, maybe even winning an SEC East, well, let's really get fancy here and imagine us winning the SEC this, this season or something like that. Again, there's time for Missouri to adjust. The north end zone project, we haven't decided on anything yet, but clearly something's going to happen here over the next five to ten years or something like that. By the way, and to the point for the people who are are against the reduced capacity, well, certainly Mizzou Arena felt too big during most of the past decade, right? When Missouri was playing mostly losing basketball, also felt like Mizzou Arena, I believe, opened in, yeah, 04, 05. Yeah, my senior year of, of college was the first year of Mizzou Arena. It felt like that period of time was kind of the peak of not only live attendance in basketball, but it was also at the back end of Quinn Snyder media, maybe, maybe right in the middle of it, I guess, when that decision was made. You're talking peak Quinn Snyder media at that point. But you know what? Last season, it didn't feel like Mizzou Arena was too big, did it? Once Missouri got the ball rolling, took down Illinois, took down Kentucky in front of, I believe, a sold-out crowd, and there were several sellouts, especially on Saturday afternoons after that. I definitely wasn't thinking during last season, ooh, I wish Mizzou Arena was smaller. So to that point, yes, if Missouri really has the demand for another 10,000 seats or whatever – Great. That Talk about a high-quality problem to have, and it's one that I think can be solved again in the north end zone complex to come. And you know what? Speaking of Mizzou Arena, man, I cannot wait to get back there here in a couple months to watch some more hopefully great basketball this season thanks to Dennis Gates and company. And while obviously Dennis is a heck of a basketball coach, you know what? It's not just the X's and O's that impresses me. In fact, the thing that impresses me about Dennis Gates the most is his ability to relate to people. He's a people guy. He understands how to motivate and and just everything. Recruit, obviously. And you know what? I thought we got a great insight into how Dennis Gates' brain works. And I want to explain to you exactly what I mean when he says, we shoot strikes. I thought that's a really interesting comment. So let's talk about Dennis 
coming up right after these quick messages. In terms of just overall basketball philosophy, X's and O's, and the type of players that Dennis Gates likes to recruit, again, just from an athletic profile, basketball standpoint, I find myself just nodding in agreement with him constantly. Not that he needs my approval or anything based on his results so far here at Missouri, but the point is I I just love all of the basketball decisions that he makes, or 99% of them. Let's put it that way. But I'm almost even more impressed by the human element. A guy who obviously pays attention to all of the advanced statistics and understands all of that stuff. Well, he's not a guy who just thinks of people as just names or capital on a spreadsheet or whatever. Dennis Gates clearly understands the human element. And to me, what I'm talking about here is very evident in a clip that I saw on the internet here recently. Adam Finkelstein over at CBS Sports has a podcast called Eye on College Basketball, and he was talking about Dennis Gates, and Gates said something to him. He said that we shoot strikes, and Finkelstein had to stop and ask him what that meant because, well, it isn't totally apparent what that means for for the most part. Well, what Dennis is saying is basically he takes the thinking out of it for the players in terms of, hey, if you're out on the three-point line and you get a strike, meaning a pass that hits you right in the pocket, right in your shooting pocket, right in the hands, or you're ready to grab that ball and pull and fire, well, you have to shoot it. Like, there's no, maybe you should shoot it. Well, if you feel like shooting, and if you're feeling it that game, no, you must shoot the ball. That's what he means. We shoot strikes. And according to Finkelstein, and I totally agree with this, by the way, basically what that does is that empowers you as a player. It makes you feel confident. Now you're no longer questioning yourself, because a lot of guys, especially if you're a guy like Kobe Brown, who's never hit over 30% of his three-pointers coming into last season, well, you've seen a lot of bricks over the years. And eventually you start going, I'm going to hesitate a little bit here. I don't necessarily feel like I'm going to make this. Well, I don't know that there was a gigantic change to Kobe Brown's form from his junior to senior year, but his mentality certainly changed on that shot. Now, maybe there was a tweak to his form in some way or another. Either way, obviously, Dennis Gates and the staff deserves credit. I'm just saying, regardless, I think the mental part is so important there. It's such a key element to all of sports and, of course, to life as well. And I think sometimes in the past, there I've heard about other Missouri coaches. I've heard about this from former players who have said, well, you know what? The new coaches just don't really want to talk to me that much. Well, Dennis Gates is quite the opposite. He takes a completely opposite approach, reaching out to literally every single living former Missouri basketball coach, including his predecessor, Conzo Martin. So I just think Dennis Gates' approach is very, I wouldn't necessarily say novel. I almost said novel. I just think it's it's really going to, it's definitely going to get Missouri a lot of wins. Let's put it that way. I just think Dennis Gates is a very intelligent guy, not only in terms of, again, numbers, X's and O's. I think he has emotional intelligence as well. And I think that's one of many reasons why he's going to be a heck of a coach for Missouri, hopefully for years and decades to come. And you know what? Hopefully 
<laughs> this podcast is going to continue here for years and decades to come with lots of Missouri victories, including tomorrow against Vanderbilt. Again, 27-10's my prediction. Hit the under. That's my advice over at FanDuel Sportsbook. But you know what? For all you everydayers, check me out tomorrow after the Vanderbilt game. I will turn on the old the old microphone as quickly as I can. I promise you that. Not sure exactly when I'm going to get it out, but it will be Saturday evening after the Vanderbilt game. So until then, I'm John Miller, and thanks as always for listening to Locked on Mizzou.